Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Roziel and today my guest is Jeff Eisenband. He is a sports and esports journalist. He's an NBA 2K League on-air reporter, host, and analyst. Jeff has such a cool career and what he's been able to do and how he's been able to do it to get himself closer and closer to the top every day of his field. And I absolutely love it. He's been able to interview Derek Jeter. He's been on MSG. He writes for Golf Magazine, uh, Front Office Sports. He, he's all over the place when it comes to sports journalism and esports journalism, and I think it's absolutely incredible. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Jeff Eisenband. Today, my special guest, Jeff Eisenband. He is a sports and esports journalist. And he's also, you have seen him most likely because there's no sports on now. Uh, so you're probably watching the NBA 2K League. And he is the on air reporter, host, and analyst. Jeff, appreciate you hanging out with me today, man. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, just uh, as I just said, you've been killing it with the guests. So I'm just flattered to be in, in the line right now. Oh, please, please. You're, 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 you're towards the top, man. You're towards the top. I get to watch you on my TV all the time now, uh, which is pretty cool. And you've done some other cool stuff that I'm excited to get to. So I, I sincerely appreciate you taking some time uh, out of your day to do this. But the first question I have for you, Jeff, is why do you love sports so much? Wow. Um, I mean, I think that it's both uh, the nature of sports themselves, the competitive element of everything. I always say, you know, I'm watching these political reporters right now cover basically you know, cover something 365 days that like one election day every two years, let's say, really matters. Um, so I think the level of chance, but I also think for me personally, it's something that I grew up on, something that my parents, my brother, my family were very, very interested in. Um, you know, it, it's it's almost weird when I'm around other families that don't plan their weekends or events or nights around sports because that's just how my family operated. Um, you know, grew up in New York, going to Yankees, Knicks, Rangers. I wouldn't say as many Giants games because our mentality in my family was stay home on Sunday and watch as much NFL as possible. Oh, yep. uh -huh. But um, it was just like, you know, that was what I, what I grew up on. People say I grew up in the suburbs. People are like, well, did you spend a lot of time in the city when you were growing up? I'm like, yeah, if we went to Knicks or Ranger games, like, you know, that's just, that's just the ecosystem that I grew up in. I love that, man. And I, I completely agree. It's always weird when you go to someone's house and they're like watching TV, like if there's not like if ESPN's not on or a game isn't on, I'm always just like, you guys know there's sports on now, right? Like, did you not, do you want me to tell, I'll tell you about it if you want, we can go over all of it. So it's always very funny to me when, uh, when people don't, as you said, plan your nights and your weekends around sporting events. And my, my mom is a huge, so my dad's a Chargers fan. My mom's a Dolphins fan. My brother's a Steelers fan and I'm a Giants fan. But my mom is a huge Mets fan, so we're all big Mets fans. But we never really went to the games because getting to Shea Stadium from where we are in New Jersey is like a four-hour trek. So we unfortunately didn't go to that many games. But pretty much every single night, we were watching the Mets. And if we, were, if we weren't watching the Mets, we were watching the Yankees rooting against them. So that was always, some, that was always a little bit of fun, too. Understandable. Um, exactly. I mean, I always had – my dad said when – 
when I was younger, he was like, you know, we root for the Mets and the Jets, especially and the Nets, uh, and the Devils Islanders. It's it's a New York New York teams, right? And I remember the moment that changed for me. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll try to do that. And in oh, I want to say I was in what grade? It would have been two thousand six. So I was in a eighth grade. October two thousand six was when uh, the Mets had their run to the NLCS, like the Andy Chavez catch year. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in an assembly in middle school and kids were chanting, let's go Mets, let's go Mets. And as someone who had just assumed that the Yankees made the World Series every year growing up, I was like, no, 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 this will not fly. Now, all of a sudden, when they're taunting the Yankee fans like this, now I realize that I cannot follow my dad's way of just appeasing all New York teams. You root for who you root for. And not the other teams. I get that. Yeah, I personally, I can't uh, root for the Yankees. That's just a, I mean, I respect them, obviously, because they always do the right thing and the Mets are always just wholly wrong. Um, But, you know, we get one run every like 10, 15 years and, you know, we try and take as much advantage of it as we can. So um, with your story a little bit, obviously, as you said, you kind of grew up in sports and everything. How, at what point did you realize that you wanted to report or write or commentate on sports? So I, the, um, so I, the, my first, I would say in ninth grade, my mom's like encouraging me to go into work for the school paper, work for the sports section. You like sports, you like writing, go do it. So I started doing that a little bit. And in 10th grade, I would took a, me like intro to video production. It was called video one at Mamarinick high school in New York. And I walked in on the first day of class and there was an easel that said, um, for the homecoming football game, LMC TV, the public access TV station, is looking for um, a play-by-play, looking for play-by student play-by-play and color commentary reporters. And I said, at first, I was like, "Ah, eh, should I, should I do something like that?" And I was like, "All right, I'll just throw my name into the hat. It's always something I've wanted to do." And all of a sudden, you know, we're working with, and it's obviously very low budget. Um, public access TV, but we probably have three cameramen out there, a little mini control room, you know, uh, a floor a runner working with me and the student color commentator. And I remember just doing that and it's abysmal and the clips on YouTube, I, like I, I'm called an extra point good when it was missed. Like I, I did everything wrong. Uh-huh. I froze on air, but it was my first time. And I said, after that, I felt like, I'm like, I love this. Like I have found something that I want to really lean into. So that was, I mean, this was in high school. I called everything uh, for my high school from football to soccer, to field hockey, to uh, baseball, basketball. um, Did I say hockey ready? Baseball, basketball, swimming. I called, um, I think I called a little lacrosse, like everything. So that was really when it started for me where I was like, this is what I want to do. That is awesome. And and it's always really interesting getting to speak to people who have different uh, backgrounds, especially, and understanding kind of where they came from, because you were dealt a hand of cards. We're all dealt a hand of cards, and I think it's very important to take advantage and play that hand correctly. And not everybody that I've spoken to has had that opportunity where their school sports are on public access TV, as you said, or have those three cameras. But you took advantage of it. And I think that that's awesome. Was like you said, you threw your hat in the ring. But was there like, did you love Michael K that much growing up? Like, was it like, what was it that you were like? this is what I want to do rather than being behind the camera doing something else. Yeah. Well, I, I would say 
Like I, you know, I watched everything. I loved Bob Costas when I was younger. You know, I loved watching the Olympics and seeing the way that he would capture, you know, I think also a younger audience might not realize what I'm saying. This is someone who turns 27 next month. I was it's not say, like, it's not, not like I'm old, but I think that, you know, I look at like the 2000, 2002, 2004 Olympics, uh, when, especially when, TV still mattered in that sort of way that you had to, things were appointment viewing. Um, you know, the Sydney Olympics in 2000, they were not live. Like you could not watch, even though Australia was so far ahead, you had to basically, if you wanted to watch things live, you had to wait for the tape delay um, at night. And you could avoid, by the way, you could avoid spoilers because there was no Twitter. There was no, the only way I remember you used to get spoiled was uh, ESPN Sports Center would warn you. They'd say, we have an Olympic warning, like kind of look away. And I'd always get caught if we were in the car on the radio. They would always give updates that they didn't warn you about those. Mm -hmm. But I remember watching Bob Costas and just being like, wow, this guy has, you know, he's capturing my attention right now. He, he, he has a way about capturing the room and portraying a story and probably dr dramatizing stuff that isn't, shouldn't even be that much sports drama, uh, you know, even more so. And I also remember in middle school, we had to take a we had to take in home and careers class. We had to take like a little test thing not not graded but one of those things you fill out and they tell you what job you're going to be and i remember i got auditor which my dad was an account you know as an accountant turned financial advisor and my friend next to me who i knew wasn't it was into sports but wasn't like into sports as a career and i knew this in like seventh or eighth grade got sports announcer and i remember i was so angry and i knew it was kind of because i said that i wouldn't want to travel on weekends and stuff like that and that's when i also woke up in middle school to, if you were going to want to go after this, you can't have stipulations um, in a world like sports where so many people are trying to accomplish the same thing. That is completely true. And shout out to your friend um, for getting your dream job. Luke Shansgarbazi. What's up? I don't Luke? know what he's doing now. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll be, I, ironically, I hope he is an auditor just, just to really bring that one full circle. But um, no, man, and that's a great point. I think that's one thing that people, you know, sports are on when everyone else is off, right? You know, your sports are on at seven o'clock at night when everyone just got home and finished dinner. They're on, you know, on Sunday, as you said, you know, you're in your family. You didn't like to go to the game because you wanted to watch as much NFL as possible. So you probably started at one and just like everyone else ended around 11 o'clock at night. So it's a solid 10 hours of watching football, but understanding that you couldn't have stipulations behind it. How still how difficult was it when you first finally had to do that when you're in college i know you went to northwestern prestigious journalism school what was it like when you really actually it was like okay all my friends are going out on friday night and saturday night but i have to do x y and z because this is the job i want to have in 20 years how did you finally start to deal with that yeah i i got i would say my friends poked a lot of fun at me about it i i kind of had two groups of friends when i was at northwestern i had my more social friends. And then I had my sports journalism friends and freshman year. I didn't do a ton um, of, I would say coverage. Uh, I did a lot of like, we, like I, I do some radio stuff for the football team, but I tried, I was like, I got to go to the tailgates. I got to experience big 10 football. And I felt a little underwhelmed because especially there were kids out there who were grinding harder on Saturdays and sacrificing that social aspect. And from soft in sophomore and junior year, I covered every single game. So I was at, you know, I was at the stadium 
early. I left late and it was a work day on Saturdays in college in a way that it wasn't for everyone else. My senior year, I kind of went, I was like, all right, now I need to also experience for my own research, the fun side of things. And I would, um, I called, I think I called three, three games. I, I, I scheduled, made my work schedule. So I covered for the radio station, I called more road games than home games. So the home games, I would actually kind of be more social for. And then the road games, I would, um, I would actually work, which I enjoy. You know, that was, mm-hmm. I think that was the most fun was working road games in college. But I'd also say like Friday and Saturday nights, I mentioned those games that I would call in high school. So in the fall, a ton of Friday, Saturday nights, I was doing women's volleyball or, you know, as we went more toward the winter, I was doing wrestling. Um, I called field hockey. I called soccer. I called some, uh, you know, a bunch of other sports when I was there that you're sacrificing time doing, you know, actual schoolwork and things like that. But I knew that that was where I needed to get my work in. And especially as I got to the second half of college and I kind of saw what, I, I hope if there's high schoolers or people on the younger side of college, like I thought I had to do all these social things at the beginning of college. And then I was like, I'm accomplishing more by doing these work related gigs. I'm accomplishing more by calling Saturday night wrestling from seven to 10 and getting, you know, somewhere that I maybe want to be at 1130 as opposed to 1045. Like it's more important for me to do this. That is a great way to put it too, because that was always something that I found funny in college was like, no one showed up till late anyway. So if you can get some work in, I mean, you might as well. Um, and again, I think it's some incredible foresight on your part. You know, as you said, even like your, your sophomore, junior, senior year of high school, still thinking about doing something like this and really falling in love with it. I think it is, is very important. And I know again, so while you were at Northwestern, you actually had a little gig with ESPN um, along the way. So I always like to understand kind of, yeah. So obviously you did a ton of work while you were in high school. You did a ton of work while you were in college. Um, You've been a writer. You've you've done a lot of this stuff, but the ESPN one really sticks out the most because worldwide leader, right? So how, how did you even come in contact and how did you really obtain this type of job, which I'm assuming, you know, anybody in the sports department at Northwestern was, was gunning for, excuse me, gunning for as well. Well, so let me backtrack a little bit. So when I was in high school, I also did a summer, um, a five-week program at Northwestern uh, called the Cherubs program that I was then connected to uh, an editor at thepostgame.com, which was a Yahoo. Well, actually, it was called Sports Fan Live at the time. It hadn't even become the postgame yet. Um, and then it was there was a partnership with Yahoo that made it the postgame when I was in high school. And I kind of sent the editor that I was working with on very backend stuff, like, wow, his name is Victor Chi. I worked with him for, I ended up work, ultimately working with him for about seven to eight years. Um, and I said, you know, I really like this article that you guys did with Yahoo Sports. Like, I didn't even say I wanted to write anything. I just kind of said that. And he was like, well, if you want to write anything, just pitch me, let me know. So I ended up the second half of my senior year of high school, I was writing, I was interviewing people. I interviewed Bernie Williams from my, you know, high school bedroom after school one day as a senior in high school, uh, Zach Hample before he was a big, big deal, the foul ball guy, mm-hmm. um, and a couple others. And I got to Northwestern and I was like, you know, I'm really good. And he was a Northwestern grad, Victor. I was like, I'm going to focus, you know, I'm still going to contribute, but I really need to focus on class. What, uh, what a bunch of, uh, <laughs> bull crap. Um, and I, uh, 
And so I was still doing a little bit. And then halfway through my freshman year, he calls me up and he says, can you get to Indianapolis in, uh, next week? I was like, what? He's like, we have a, an, a pass to Super Bowl media day in the Super Bowl. If you want to go Giants Patriots too, uh, and cover it for us. I was like, yes, I will get this done. You know, looked up the mega bus schedule, figured out how to do it. And from there, I was really like, all right, this is, this is what I want to do. Um, I came back that summer. Um, I wrote for the post game exclusively from my, um, you know, from my room in mm -hmm. at home in Westchester. And I know that my parents felt a little bit, I don't know if discouraged is the right word, but like I was doing an internship from my room, which is very, it's obscure. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did that. I, I ended up getting out of the house to cover a few things that I was sent to, but for the most part, I was in my house just kind of writing blog sort of things or doing phone interviews. And then, so the next, the next summer, and I also actually that summer wrote for golf, uh, golf week a little bit, but the next summer they really were, you know, you have to, you have to get out of the house. You have to do some stuff. So I, I had a friend at Northwestern who encouraged me to apply. He had, he had done an internship at ESPN New York. And so I applied and I got, it was a part-time internship. You know, there were like, a, it was the last year they did it because it was mm -hmm. right after unpaid internships were basically like this, this will not fly anymore. Um, and it was at, I think it was unpaid. Um, if we got paid, it was very, very minimal. Still, it was, uh, but yeah, it I was, uh, it was like two to three days a week. Two of the days were in the radio were, or it fluctuated week to week. About half the time was in the radio station taking calls and half the time was actually in the field marketing. And I was so excited, right? ESPN, ESPN New York. This is, um, you know, it was right as they were going from 1050 to 98.7 for those in New York. And I just like didn't, it wasn't, first of all, I was doing stuff that I didn't want to do. I was just answering phones for Stephen A. Smith. I was basically just screening calls um, I remember we all had to do one week of the graveyard shift. So I was like researching for Robin Lundberg, who's a great guy, but like I'm researching stuff at like 3 a.m. Uh, for him. And then in the marketing promotion side, we're playing cornhole outside like the Home Depot or like Red Bulls games with Ryan Rucco and like trying to pump people up. And it was, it was just, it wasn't, I didn't love it, to be honest. Um, it wasn't a knack on any of the people. Most of the people were very good people. It was just that the, the, the setting was a little tough and it also felt very old school. And it wasn't like I was going to stay there and work my way up forever and break into things. You know, there were guys who'd been there for decades. There were a, a lot of the talent wasn't even, I mean, Michael Kay and Stephen A. Smith, for example, were two of the biggest talents. Michael Kay did his show from Yankee Stadium almost or wherever the Yankees were traveling because, you know, it wasn't like he was in the radio station and then going to a 7 o'clock game. Like, he had his own portable equipment. Stephen A. was in Bristol at the time for the most part doing his show. So it wasn't like anyone was even in the studio. Uh, Mike Lupico was doing his show from a backyard studio that they set up for him. So I, I ended up, they did hook it up. And I did one day, Mike and Mike was at Northwestern one day. So I interned for them, which was really cool. Um, you know, got to say hi to Mike Greenberg. We've gotten to know each other a little bit over the years, but um, I know it's a long winded way of saying it was, it was also a little bit of a, okay, I got a dream job sort of internship, 
but it wasn't exactly what I expected it to be. And I think that's the most important part, you know, what people can take from, you know, the story is just because you want something doesn't mean it's going to be great. And just because you get it doesn't mean you have to love it. I mean, I think it's a great way of understanding for others out there is, you know, hey, everybody in sports media at one time or another kind of wants a job at ESPN, whether you admit it or not. Um, and you got it. Now, granted, as you said, it was a lower level internship. It was unpaid. There was so much more that could come with it, but it at least gave you the the insight and the knowledge of, okay, well, how does a major you know, sports media company, or at least the sports media side of New York City, what does that look like? What does that feel like? And how does that interact? And you were able, even as a, uh, you know, a, a lower level intern, you could at least still see to the top, as you said, like you could see Stephen A. Smith wasn't there. Michael K. was barely ever there because, you know, he's always on the road. So I think that is a very important part of the story as well for people to understand. One thing that I realized also was that, um, that, that what a big lesson that I learned was you can have big eyes and try to meet the people that you know the famous people for example like a lot of the ki- the other interns were trying to like get their FaceTime with Michael K or Stephen A and like I said they were barely in the studio so it was like a very small sliver the guy I probably connected with the most that summer was Dave Rothenberg who now does a lot more for ESPN radio at the time he was basically the host from um like 7 to 11 every night and or like 7 p.m. to 12 p to 12 a.m. and since I believe it was the summer, uh, the the Yankees and Mets both weren't um, weren't on uh, ESPN Radio. So we're talking about most New York fans who are listening to the radio are probably listening to the Yankees or Mets. So it's a very it was a very interesting time. And Dave was just trying to grow his following. He talked a lot about football because he's trying to grab a niche where people who aren't baseball fans want to want to hear what's going on. But he just, because he didn't have an ego, he wasn't one of the bigger guys at the time. He was more willing to have a few conversations for me, pick my brain. He never knew my name. He just called me Northwestern, but like that was enough for me to uh, feel connected. That's pretty cool. And uh, so obviously here in the New York City area, I do listen to ESPN occasionally and he he seems like the kind of guy that would just call you Northwestern, which I think is pretty cool. Well, he's also moved up. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's played the game enough to move up and he waited his turn. Like I said, now he's got bigger slots. He's got more meteor slots. He does some pregame and postgame. Like, you know, more mainstream fans will hear him that, as opposed to just accidentally flipping it on at night. But the other thing I want to say about that, which I realized, especially when I went back to Northwestern, so that was between my sophomore and junior year, um, I think, yeah, that was between my sophomore and junior year, is that I realized that it wasn't going to, this is my advice to a lot of people in high school and college, is don't always try to meet the famous person or the person who you just has the biggest recognition because they probably can't help you is the honest matter of the fact. Like the the, the elite level on-air talents are not are not hiring anyone. It's about getting to know the producers, the the editors, the people that kind of the the business, the biz dev people, the people that are just around that side of things. And that was something that when I would go, when I because at Northwestern we'd have some great speakers, but it was like okay, Michael Wilbon's here, and I've been introduced to him a few times, but it's not like he's going to remember who I am or move you know move mountains for me as opposed to the. ESPN producer over there that isn't necessarily publicly recognized, but I know that, you know, I can, 
I can get to know them. I can show they're going to actually follow me on LinkedIn and see what I do. And we're going to be able to have a conversation that way. And that's one way that I've tried to help advance myself. And that's, that's a great way to do it. Because as you said, there's, there's a couple different ways. Um, as you said, like with Dave, he kind of was there at the studio, he put in his time, he did his work. And now he is on, I think in the, the, what the 10 o'clock to one o'clock show or whatever here in New York, which is a huge time. I mean, obviously, you know, lunch hour, everything like that. But I also think it's very important to understand, as you said, that, you know, there's other people, there's a lot of people in this industry. And if you want to get on air, um, knowing other people on air is probably good, but those aren't the best contacts and connections for you to be making on a daily basis. Well, if you work your way up, great. You know, I, I know. And for example, one thing that I noticed when I, when I was there, I remember we were working in ESPN radio, New York golf outing and Ruko was playing in it, I believe. And Michael K was, um, was not, he was actually broadcasting or maybe it was the opposite. One of them was broadcasting their radio show. So they couldn't play. One was playing. And I remember one of them out there in a golf cart and they were engaging. And this was, this was summer 2013. Um, so for those of you, especially in New York, you might remember Ryan Rucco was the, uh, the in-stadium host at Yankee Stadium at first. Mm-hmm. And that was his first job. He had won a big Fordham award. Like he was a big, uh, kind of like a big recruit coming out of Fordham. And I think Michael Kay and him became close through the Fordham network. Um, and Michael Kay was part of the reason that he worked, got the job at the Yankees first, got the job at ESPN radio, got the job at the yes network. Like there's a lot of connections in there. And it was something that I also realized just sitting there was like, okay, well, Ruko's worked his way up to now be in like Michael Kay is going to listen to a, going to care about a Ryan Ruko. He's not going to care about a Joe Schmo in the middle of college, not because he's a bad guy, but because then he'd be caring about hundreds of kids thousands of kids that come up to him that slide into his dms every day mm-hmm. yeah no exactly i guess timing is the other thing we could take away from that as well just understanding you know hey make those connections as we said it's not a bad thing but understanding if there was ever a time to ask and, and how to ask i think is very important too is uh you know when there's actually actionable opportunities you know if, as you said if you ask when you're a sophomore you're, you're 19 20 years old he can't do anything for you for at least another two or three years anyway so there's no point in trying to ask now. I mean, you can get advice and, hey, if he gives it to you, take it. But I think there's so much more that you can do along the way. So you also, uh, you brought it up a little bit. You talked about the post game. Uh, I've actually mm-hmm. had the opportunity to have a couple people from the post game on here. I had Ryan Delaney, who just got hired recently. But I also just recently did an interview with Justin Moser, um, who is absolutely incredible. Such a smart dude. He has an Instagram famous dog. He made his dog Instagram famous just for the fun I was, of it. I was there when he made it. It was incredible, dude. He's a funny, funny guy. His episode, as of this recording's not out, but as of the time this comes out, it will be out. So I hope everyone goes back and enjoys that. But seems like you got a story about Justin. And maybe well, I was going to say, dog. Ryan was there before me. So I didn't, I mean, he was, I was in college at the time. So I mm-hmm. didn't know him. But Justin, yeah, I mean, it just, um, I remember when Justin got his dog, Harlan the Corgi, and there's a Corgi, um, Harlan the Corgi. And he, uh, he's like, I'm making this, this Instagram. And we actually had a couple of people. He was in the LA office. I'm in, I was in New York. We had a couple of people who had dogs and had dog pages there, but Harlan just like catapulted to the top of the LA, um, you know, Instagram famous dog. I like it's it was then like because we were in New York and he was in LA and he's on video calls with the dog. It was just like this folk hero to us that we never actually got to see in person. I think, you know, it's incredible to 
to, and I'm sure Justin will speak on this in that podcast you mentioned, but he basically met people, whether it was work related or for him just networking in the LA area because of his dog, because his dog was actually getting invited to things, which is an incredible testament to social media and, you know, what it, what it can do. It's also an incredible testament to our society as well. Um, but I, I love it. I thought it was hilarious when he told me how it happened and all that. So I really do hope everyone goes back and listens to that. But you said you spent uh, like eight years, I think you said, at the, at the post game. Or- yeah, well, I, I spent because I really started contributing when mm-hmm. I was in high school. So I ended up, um, like I said, every summer, I, every, I mean, when I was in college, I was freelancing. Like I said, I covered that, that, um, I covered that Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I would every summer... Um, the first two summers I came home, like I said, I was writing for the post game and golf week. Then I was doing the post game and ESPN radio. And then finally the, the last summer I was working, I was basically didn't an internship for the post game. That was basically working full time for three months. Like, and they didn't, it wasn't like they had to train me or anything. Cause I'd already been doing it for so long. So, you know, senior year of college, I did some work, let's say, but Mm -hmm. I was basically freelancing full-time. I knew I had a full-time job with them lined up. Um, So I was doing stuff, getting paid. I was, um, I came home and I covered the NBA All-Star weekend that was in New York that year. I covered the NFL draft in Chicago. During this time, I was covering the US Open, the tennis US Open every summer I was home. So like I, I was doing all these things and then I seamlessly it was like, all right, now I'm an editor. I'm a full-time editor. And when I showed up for day one as a full-time employee after college, it didn't feel like I was starting. It It was just felt like a continuation of mm-hmm. like, I literally, I knew everyone standing there in the office. I'd worked with them basically all the summer before. The newest employee had come in my last week, the previous summer. So they almost looked at me as being there longer than her. And I just kind of stepped in and, and I did for the next three years, I was a full-time editor, uh, associate to then senior editor in New York, um, you know, doing everything in digital media from writing video, interviewing, podcasting, running, you know, helping run social, creating, learning how to photo edit, video edit, um, do everything, um, kind of like a jack of all trades sort of thing for them. Mm -hmm. And that all comes from, as you said, the relationship that you started in high school. So while the timeline looks very long, the the full-time opportunity was really a little over three years. But because, again, you started that relationship so long ago, you were able to rise very quickly within those three years to, as you said, a senior editor at that time, which is pretty incredible. I mean, at 24? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, and so one... No need to be humble, man. No, No I'll, I'll say this. It wasn't like the editorial staff was that big. So you have to put that in mind. And I always tell people that someone in today's day and age with so many startups, so many smaller companies, I had in my high school group friends group text, someone was like, did you see so-and-so's um, an MD somewhere? And this was someone that works at a big, big traditional company, the, the mm-hmm. person who was saying it, not the person who would become a managing director. And I was like, you know, the company has 15 people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, let's not all jump. You can convince yourself of things of whatever you want on LinkedIn, but if you actually look at the the bones of something, so like being senior editor was great, but like, you know, maybe at, uh, the New York Times, it takes you 15 years to be mm-hmm. a senior editor because that's how the scale is. But I would also add, like someone said to me recently, like, wow, you were at that job eight years. I was like, no, no, no. Like I was really there three years, but I was doing stuff 
for a long, long time. And I always encourage kids like in today's day and age, you don't need to, you can be, you can contribute journalistically so much earlier on than you used to be able to. You should come out of college with a ton of uh, reps under your belt. And I saw it at Northwestern. I've seen it at other places like journalism schools, understanding the value that their students are getting there and stuff that is th- that works not getting graded. That works not, you know, it's, it's all, and I think the journalism education has become, um, you know, it's now become about, okay, let's help what you're doing in the real world with these assignments uh, for those of you that have already gotten to that point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's true in a lot of different aspects, but mostly within sports journalism, because as you said, it's, it's a lot easier to start up a blog now. It's a lot easier to start up a podcast. I think my podcast cost me $80 and that's because I bought an okay microphone. Um, you know, you can do pretty much everything for free at this point or, or very close to it that if you're not doing it, somebody else is, and you're now behind the ball. Like as you've been doing it since you were ninth grade, 10th grade, you know, a lot of people don't get started till college, which is fine. But at the same time, you have to start doing something because you can't get out of school and expect to get paid for something that you've never done before. When there's people like yourself, Jeff, who have been doing it for, you know, a good six years before you actually started to get paid full time for it. So I think that that part's very important and people need to understand that, especially about the sports journalism space. I think you have to understand that, like, you know, you're going to have to work harder than you think. No one's no one's getting any handouts. Um you have to uh, like, especially in a world like sport, like sports journalism, that so many people are trying to break into, like, you don't have to be good. You have to be like, you have to be, you can't measure yourself to be like, I sound like Jim Nance. You have to be like, no, no, no. I need to sound like Jim Nance compared to all of these other people that are trying to make it in my same industry. And I mean, the other thing is like, you're going to deal with, with a lot of failure. And like, I've had failure, I've had bad stories, I've had stories I missed, uh, I didn't report, I've had things that I broke too late, um, I've had th- I've, I've gotten jobs, I've felt like I've interviewed well for jobs or done everything that I needed to do to be qualified and haven't gotten stuff. I've gotten multiple things and have, it, haven't it, have had it taken away within weeks because of things that are out of my hands, whether it's a sponsor pulls out or, you know, someone else who wasn't in now decides that they're in. And like, you just have to, you just have to deal with this stuff. You have to keep putting your foot on the gas and realize like, if this is something that you want, you have to tell yourself there is nothing that is going to stop me from accomplishing what I want to accomplish here. I love that, man. I'm fired up. It's only 11 o'clock in the morning on a Monday. I'm ready to go, man. Second cup of coffee. I don't need I was that today. Say, I'm almost done with my first cup. Yeah, that's All right. it, I, You're getting the energy out of me. <laughs> I love it, man. So, um, so obviously, as you said, you spent a bunch of time at the post game. You've been freelancing for a while. You've been covering all these different sports since I don't even remember. Uh, you said you started the I told US you Open. I'm old. Yeah, yeah, very old. Almost 27. Happy birthday. Or almost 26. No, almost 27. Okay, cool. Happy, happy birthday. Um, but I, I have here, you wrote for Golf Magazine Complex, Front Office Sports. I read a, a story from you from Front Office Sports from 2011 on Kay Adams, and it was awesome. Not 2011. That seems that too wasn't. long ago. That would have been, um, 
So that would have been, uh, unless they messed up the date there. I think it was I, 20, okay. 2019. It was last oh, year's Super Bowl. Last then year's first, Super Bowl. I don't know why I remember 2011. Maybe that's someone else from another time. But I do remember that K. Adams story, and it was fantastic. You did an incredible job on that. Thank well, you. How do you find – do, do you find the – the publications, the publications find you. How does that normally work in the freelance world? Yeah, I mean, it's um, that could be a whole podcast in itself. Um, okay, but uh, no, I'm not. Pitch. I'm not trying to. I'm not I trying know. to. You're it's um, the so with me, and this is what I always I encourage college students. Not a lot of them are like, oh, I'll go freelance to start. I'm like, I don't agree. Uh, that is not. Listen, maybe maybe you can succeed. I don't endorse that necessarily because for me it was I worked for the post game I had a full-time job I wasn't getting you know I wasn't breaking the bank getting rich at that job but it had it was steady income that on top of that I networked nonstop, and that's virtual networking that's grinding you know pounding the virtual pavement on social sharing everything connecting with people being shameless in terms of not shameless in terms of whose dms you slide into but like reply to people, follow people. I never cared about my, uh, my ratios because if you're not going to take the chance, then no one's going to notice that you're, you're mm. out there. Um, and then it was also pounding the pavement in person, going to nonstop networking events, covering events, but at the same time, you're covering events, talking to people, getting to know people. Um, you know, People are always going to try to help people that they actually know in person and actually engage in, in, with people that they know in person. You know that. We, you know, we mm-hmm. said we met at an event. Yep. Um, and I actually, that event was something that I said to myself, this was an esports event recently that I was like, I need to get out there and go back to my roots and go back to my networking roots. So that's where I kind of got started. And then when I was at the post game, you know, the last I'd say year or two was there were a lot of those, these conversations that were like, Oh, we should work together someday. And it's like, Oh, I have a, you know, I'm full, fully employed right now. And there was enough, there were enough of those conversations that I was at the point where I was like, all right, let's see if, uh, let's take a chance here and see if all these people are serious, that they actually want to work with me and that we actually have something that we can, you know, things that we can do together. I knew that the NBA 2K League was going to satisfy a, a fraction of my previous income, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to myself, I really think that if I work hard enough, I can you know, have more opportunities out there, make more money than I, than I used to, and just experience more and be, be better at what I'm trying to do. Kind of not just going to the same office every day, but actually putting myself out there. So um, front office sports, for example, is something that Adam White and Russ Wild, two of the, you know, two of the founders are people are guys who are my peers, who I've become friends with, who we've been at events together so many times. And we we knew how each other worked. And so Adam had just gotten his funding to really start in New York about a little over a year ago. And I was like, I want to, you know, let me know how I can help here. And I recognizing it's not like he was going to be able to pay me a crazy amount, but I knew that I wanted to write somewhere new work with someone who I knew had a vision for something that was something new. And so I started doing that and golf magazine you mentioned was something was a, I wanted to get more into golf as being freelance and now in in charge of what I was doing. And I knew an editor there, Luke Curdenin. And I was like, look, how can I get involved here? We need help here. Um, And there was a lot of also feeling like, okay, now I need to prove myself with a lot of people uh, working as a freelancer. The MSG stuff that you mentioned was 
they saw me moderating a panel. They asked me to come in and try out for a show. I didn't get it, but I stayed in touch with the producer. A few months later, I told him, I'm like, hey, you know, I remember last summer you were looking to fill, you were looking for ideas while the Knicks and Rangers and Devils and Islanders and Sabres aren't playing. Here are my, uh, here's what I've been doing in the last year. And he was like, you've done stuff for sports fantasy and golf. We literally need someone for that. And it was like, you know, if I, if I didn't send that message, I tell people, you're going to go network, you'll meet, go network, go meet 10 people. One of those people is going to help you. Mm-hmm. Only one, nine of those conversations will not end up resulting in, you know, they might give you a couple of retweets, but they're not going to give you anything to necessarily further your career that far. But you have to have those 10 conversations because you don't know if that one person is going to be the first or the 10th conversation you have. 100%. I am a true believer in networking. Yeah, as you said, we met at a pretty great esports event um, produced and put on by, by Nick Hayden over at the Sport Biz Group. It was awesome. You were a great host uh, moderator to that panel, which was a lot of fun to get to listen to all these guys, some of them pro players, uh, former professional athletes, esports athletes. It was an absolute blast. And by the way, Nick, just going to throw this out here. I met Nick when he was a volunteer at I want to say either 2017 or 2018 hashtag the hashtag sports conference one of those two years he was a volunteer and then he was host you know he's you want to talk about a guy who's just networked pretty shamelessly he knows that he mm-hmm. would say that um, but just um, you know tried to find his niche and now and he's kind of the king of networking like that's his that's what's making him revenue right now but I do want to shout him out for that yeah he's a good friend of mine he's also been on the show so go check that out I had Adam Adam White on um, a while ago so go check that one out if you want to learn a little bit more about front office sports they're an incredible company um, so you bring up the MSG stuff you got on TV for a little bit if I'm not mistaken about that with uh, golf and, and fantasy sports i mean how how have you been able to i guess compartmentalize each of these and make sure that you are being a very good golf reporter but also at the same time really great at understanding what's going on in the front offices and the business side of sports but also at the same time with fantasy i mean it seems like you're in so many places and i'm sure consuming that content is fun and researching it is fun but how are you making sure that you're producing the best content as well well first of all i always tell people you have to be a student of what you're doing before you can really be good at it. So that was another thing that I had to learn a little bit of a punch in the gut in the real world is like, you can't just jump into something and be good at it. First of all, there are people in every field. Like if you say tomorrow, I want to cover, I want to be the American handball reporter. Like handball is a big sport in Europe, but I want to be the guy who covers it for American handball fans. I guarantee there are five gigantic handball fans out there that are already doing that. So how are you going to be better for better than them when you're just stepping in? So get on part of my the, take at this point. I think that's all you got to do, but that's, that's a whole nother thing <laughs> in, in my, so in, in, so, you know, it's recognizing that, that I've gotten people who've said, why don't you <clears throat> focus on one thing? Like, you know, in today's, today's world, you're only going to get hired if you're a specialist. If you're, if someone wants someone to talk about the MBA, they're just going to look, look for MBA specialists. And I've always, my take has been my specialty, my thing that I think I'm good at is that I can go into, put on a ton of different hats and jump into a ton of different fields. And it goes back to what we started this conversation with that my, my parents got me, they had me play every sport and I was 
good at every sport. I wasn't great at every at anything, I wouldn't say, but I could, you know, I I could play baseball and golf, which are more hand-eye coordination games, great stick handling, couldn't skate. Um, and, but then I could play basketball or, or you know, uh, not tackle football, but more of like flag football or soccer. I could be physical when I had to be physical. And um, that's a long-winded way of saying with with that I've I've dipped my feet into so many of these sports. Like I love watching golf more like people and people can't believe that because they're like, you're the esports guy, right? No, I love watching golf. So something like golf comes easy for me because I'm I'm following it anyway. Um, there are some other maybe sports or esports that I've had to actually do, you know, it's like more research into to actually know what I'm talking about because it's not as something that is in my day to day as much. Mm-hmm. But I think that where, like I said, my specialty I feel is that I can go, I can corral the same audience that maybe has interest in multiple things. I can be in both of those, in, in all of those worlds for them. And, you know, I think that being a generalist is something that was a champion for a long time that hasn't been recently. Uh, you know, if you are a big company, you're hiring people who you can throw into a bunch of different sports. And I still think that's, that exists. And that's part of why I'm still, I'm still trying to go for that. But I also think it's, I think that, that it's like a people have lost, I don't know if it's lost respect for the art as much as they don't realize how, how important that still is. Um, I think in like the, the short term, like I'm just going to get, try to get to 25,000 followers as fast as possible. So I'm just going to tweet about one thing and just grab those 25,000 people. And I know it might take me longer to get to 25,000 being more general, but I feel like I have that higher potential to get to a hundred thousand followers as someone who kind of has a slower growth because I'm in so many different mm-hmm. fields. And you introduced me at the beginning as sports and esports journalists. And that's still what I go for. There's a lot of people in the sports world that say, Oh, you're the esports guy. And there's a lot of people in the esports world that are like, Oh, you're really a sports guy. And it's like, you know, I'm straddling the line and I, I have to hear both sides of that. But to me, the, I'm trusting the process in that I want to be an individual that is able to talk to all, audi- to, to all sorts of audiences and go back and forth and also communicate maybe things that you don't know as well from this other field that I'm interested in to you and vice versa. I love that. And I think it's very important for people to understand that, yes, you know, subject matter expert is is a huge hot topic. And that's what people are looking for. As you said, you know, you want they're going to hire someone for the NBA. But even as we're seeing right now with kind of this whole pandemic and everything kind of being in flux, you being kind of the person for esports as well as sports like all day yesterday again as of recording this is monday after easter i was watching you tweet along with tyra winning um the the masters which is kind of funny but then i also just a few days earlier if i'm not mistaken saw you on the nba three-on-three esports league so it's just i think it's more enjoyable that way because i don't just watch baseball i watch baseball i watch football i watch all these sports it's nice to know that you know just because you're a reporter in one you can be a reporter in all these things, you put in more work, obviously, put in more time. But I just think it's really interesting how you've been able to, as you said, straddle the line or walk it finally, however you want to say it, and starting to become relatively successful at it, I think is, I mean, a testament to your hard work, but also, as you said, the networking and the energy and the effort you put behind it. 
I appreciate you saying that. My head was going to explode yesterday while Tiger, the, the Tiger Rewind is on, the Giants-Patriots first yep, Super Bowl. I watched that. Mm-hmm. And game seven of the, the Warriors-Cavs in 2016. I'm like, first of all, TV, you listen, we, we, I would watch all three of these if they were on mm-hmm. three different nights. So next time, like, let's figure out how to not schedule kind of the biggest games. I understand it was Sunday. So I understand that even people that work from home, you know, were able to watch, but like, give me one of those at least on Saturday or, or a weeknight. Um, I think that it's also important and I'll put this out there. Like I would love nothing more than to be calling the NFL on Sundays, but I hope that people realize out there that doesn't happen overnight. You don't Mm -hmm. just decide like, Hey, I want to call the NFL on CBS or Fox. How do I get there? Well, it's probably a 10 to 15 year roadmap for you to get there. Um, and for me, I've, I've felt like I would love to cover the NFL and the NBA, but the roadmap to get there is not direct necessarily. Mm-hmm. So for me, especially in broadcasts, like I'm getting my work, my, my work in so many other different fields. And it's something that my family and mentors have encouraged me, you know, someone encouraged me recently was like, when, like I said, when you were in, they were like, when you were in college, you learned how to call wrestling and volleyball, sports that you had no idea, didn't really know the rules of before, but sat there and studied and watched film and learned all the terminology and asked questions and didn't act like you, you know, I didn't act like I was too good. Like I knew everything. I didn't act like I was a dope. I tried to, you know, get to know everything that I needed to know. And, and I'm doing that for a lot of the same things. And I think that's also how you prove that you're a great broadcaster because everyone thinks they could just step into that NFL chair and call the NFL. But like, you don't understand how much work Thom Brenneman is doing in the five days prior and how many people he's talking to and how many stories that he has that he's not even going to share on game day because it's only a 60 minute game. I completely agree. And I think it's really funny. I have a friend of mine who is a director at Fox um, and he works with Kenny Albert. Um, and I guess the last couple of years it was oh, with want- the barbers. Say it again. Well, you, you want to talk about a guy who does everything. Kenny Albert's incredible. I met him such a sweet human being too, which was awesome. So I'm very grateful that I had that opportunity, but yeah, I mean, what he calls the Rangers, he calls, um, you know, football every once in a while, he'll be on a, like the world series when Joe Buck is doing something. It's just like, and he's incredible at it from, I believe I, I think in like October and November, someone was saying he ends up calling cause he does, he does the MLB playoffs for Fox when Buck can't call. He does the um, he does the NFL for Fox. He does the NHL for NBC. He also calls the Rangers on the radio, and he's the Knicks fill-in announcer when Mike Breen does an ESPN game, which Mike Breen does an ESPN game like every week. So Kenny Albert calls the Knicks at least once, sometimes twice a week. It's incredible. And he's so good. You, you'd never like, he doesn't miss a beat, which I think is the coolest part. And I guess, again, you know, that's someone you being a person that wants to call everything. It seems like you can get there, but you, you made a really good point before is there is no roadmap to get to be on uh, NFL Sundays. Now, hopefully I can introduce you to my friend that if you don't already know we'll him, talk. it's one yeah. step closer. Uh, <laughs> he's a great guy too. So maybe, maybe he'll have dinner with you one of these days, but I think you went the best possible route, or at least the one that makes the most sense is with this upstart NBA 2K league, because it gets a significant amount of 
at least media coverage in terms of, hey, look what's happening over here. The NBA is very, very involved in something like this. And now you're on Twitch, which is essentially to anyone under the age of, what, like 18, that's their TV at this point. And I mean, 18 might even be a little, uh, a little, a uh, little young. So how did you, and I apologize if we're going to go a little over the hour that we blocked off, but I'm having fun and I hope you're having some fun too. But how did you even come about this opportunity? And, and how do you have, again, the foresight, you've been doing this for two, two plus years at this point. How did, did you know, or did you think that this was going to be as big as it is? So this is, and it's funny because I've been having this conversation now. More people are all of a sudden interested as we, as esports are having on, a little, having a you're moment. You're on TV right now. a lot more now, but um, I think it's pretty cool. They, so I, I'm someone who always played video games growing up. Played video games incessantly in college, and when I came, so the first month, August 2015, the first month that I worked full-time at the post game was the same month that League of Legends sold out Madison Square Garden. And a lot of people, I'd go to these, these networking events and these sports media events, people are like, you should cover esports. Like, that's the new thing. That's where the money's at. You're young. Everyone's looking for people to cover esports. So I, I did my research and I'm like, I don't really even know what League of Legends or CSGO or World, World of Warcraft or, yeah, are. Um, and I think that it's important for people to understand the difference. Like people hear esports, they think sports. And I noticed that League of Legends, were, again, we're talking the day after Easter. I noticed that League of Legends was on ESPN2 last night. And it legitimizes things and it's, it, it rallies the community a little bit. Sports fans aren't going to watch League of Legends. They're just not. They, it's not the same demographic. People want every esports fan to be a sports fan and vice versa. And that's not the way that things are working. And the people that are fans of sports video games, which is the field that I'm in, are not necessarily the same fans of a lot of those other big esports that you're hearing about that are blowing up. That's, you know, that, that people are streaming that Dr. Lupo and Ninja and Tim, the tap man are streaming. So for me at the beginning, when I came out of college, I'm like, okay, this isn't for me right now but I recognize the value, the rising value in video games and esports, and I'm going to keep having my eye on it. I go back to when I was 13 and ESPN had the Madden nation show that was 23 minutes of television scripted for these, like a Madden reality show. I just wanted to see the best players play, but there weren't enough time in 23 minutes. So then I get an opportunity. I get to know some people at the NBA. They have me come in. I host some content for the NBA Twitch channel and the NBA 2K League starts. And I say to the guy, Sam Asfahani, who owns, who's CEO of OS Studios, who was on that panel with me. Mm -hmm. um, he, uh, I'm like, how can I get involved with this on draft day? He's like, we're going to give you a microphone, put you on the red carpet, interview as many people as you can. And um, if it's good stuff, we'll use it in the stream or we'll use it in social after. And I start asking these guys questions and no one knows. We don't know anything about these guys beyond their gamer tag and or PSN and their real name and where they're from. And I'm asking them, you know, what's it like to be a programmer, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what were you doing before this? And people were like, I was working in an Amazon plant. I was a truck driver. I was a financial advisor. I worked for the State Department and quit my job. And I'm like, wow. The stories that are here to be told are not stories that you've ever encountered before. They're uncovered. No one's been telling the stories about these guys. Here's a, as a storyteller, as a journalist, it's like, oh my God, what did I just, you know, come upon here? And on top of that, now the, 
the NBA 2K League was NBA 2K and sports video games are really hitting the esports fold. I'm like, these are games that I actually play. Audiences that watch sports that I can relate to, that have the same interests, that understand the storytelling that I'm used to telling. Like, I want to be a part of this. So that was really when I sit, when I decide, like, I want to do what it takes to break in here and find a, an avenue here. And I think that people still don't understand. They're like, well, you're in esports, not sports. I'm like, it's so close to the, they're, they're sports games. Like anyone mm-hmm. can watch and understand. And all of, let me, let me tell you this, all of the players in the NBA 2K League, every single one had the dream of playing in the NBA at some point. Mm-hmm. And they all act like they're NBA players. So it feels like the same thing when you're talking to them, their attitudes, the way they carry themselves, their goals. And that's where I just, where I saw an, uh, an opportunity, both for myself as in my career, but also just for storytelling for like, for the creative side of things. And I think, again, like, I think it's the best possible pathway you could have went because it's not to say that it's the least resistance, but it was a huge opportunity, especially now looking at it again, you know, a lot of people are paying attention to the NBA 2K league. Obviously they just had the players tournament, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, with the three on three, which is going on, which is kind of cool. That's what you've been uh, dealing with. Did that finish or is that close? to? Yeah, that's, that's done. So, um, you know, I'm, and I'm in the, I'm in the dark on things. It's not like I know Mm -hmm. what's going on. I know that Brendan Donahue, the managing director for league has said in periscopes that he he has a, basically a weekly periscope with fans. He has said that the league is exploring opportunities to do um, you know, remote gameplay. And I hope that people, everyone's like, wow, esports is blowing up right now. I'm like, if you really understand, you know that Overwatch League, Call of Duty League, and NBA 2K League, arguably three of the top leagues in the US esports leagues, highest level of competitive esports, haven't played a game during this time. I mean, Call of Duty League just, I believe, started up again this weekend. But for the first four weeks of this pandemic, no one was playing because they were all designed to be played in front of crowds in person, mm-hmm. create localized formats of the game where you're developing a local fan base. So it's been a, you know, it hasn't been perfect. That three for all showdown that you mentioned was an exhibition tournament for the mm-hmm. NBA 2K League, a way to engage fans, but didn't count. You know, that's not the product that you'll actually see out there. So, um, that's another layer to esports that people are getting very and, and getting excited about video games for the right reasons right now. But what was going on before has had to pause as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's actually really interesting. I wasn't uh, I was unaware that that three for all league was exhibition. I, I thought it was just kind of for fun. I didn't realize it was for that money. It, it was for okay. money. All right. Well, that's, but it but it yeah. wasn't it wasn't. Uh-huh the regular season, mm-hmm. the format, the league is five on five. That was three on three. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I really did appreciate your Orleans Darkwa um, little <laughs> comment that you had there. That was fantastic. I think what nine touchdowns with the giants. Hell yeah, man. I'm all for it. So I think you did, you're doing your research. You're doing what you got to do, which I think is great. And I mean, again, Jeff, this is awesome. I really sincerely appreciate it. I always like to kind of ask like what's in the future, but I'm assuming you're going to be the, the, the Kenny Albert. You're going to do whatever it takes to get on whatever of these sports and get them all. So if you want to answer, you're more than welcome. If not, I can move on to the next question. No, I mean, the answer is I don't know. And I think that's okay. Um, I said to someone recently on a podcast, I said, like, you know, my advice is for people to stop trying to be like, how can I get to my dream job overnight? becoming like a TikTok celebrity mm-hmm. and how can I get to my dream job in five to seven years? What is the, what is the map? And it's about the journey. Like what is the map to get there? Where am I going to accumulate the, the knowledge that I need, the, the 
networking that I need? How am I going to get this all done? Where do I go? And that's what I think people have to ask. So for me, it's a lot of what we mentioned and I don't know necessarily where it's going to take me, but I feel like I'm at least trying mm-hmm. to get up on that ladder. Just keep doing what you're doing because you've, you've done a lot of really cool things up to this point. And if you continue down that path, I'm sure more cool things are coming. And again, I'll introduce you to my friend who works at Fox. So that'll be super helpful. Last thing I do want to touch upon is you actually recently started a podcast as well, just like yep. everybody else on planet earth, because mm-hmm. we don't have anything else to do. You have a microphone, you can start a podcast. So tell us a little bit about what you got rocking over there. Yeah. So that was, I mean, this is, I, I've been asked to do a few podcasts, mostly esports podcasts. And, you know, you would know this, like I wanted to own the IP and unless I had some crazy enticing offer, I didn't want to just be a cog in someone's system. Like I wanted to, to have creativity and I don't, I don't want to just stick to pigeonhole myself to esports. Also, I think that a lot of people in the sports world just see me have esports next to my name and they're like, oh, you can cover esports. I'm like, I'm not going to talk about Fortnite and Overwatch League if that's something that you want done in esports. So I'm just trying to interview like you. I'm just trying to find really cool people who I enjoy being around, interview them, share the best clips, um, kind of spark conversation. I'm not like, you know, I think that if I'm, Again, this comes back to I'm not trying to, for it to be my overnight sole revenue driver. Um, I'm trying to use it as a way for me to, to have these conversations that I want to have, share with the world. Like the last interview I did was with Blake Lawrence, who's the CEO of Open Doors. They do a lot of uh, work with a lot of athletes on social media. And I think it's we've had so many amazing conversations, just the two of us sitting there at all these events. But I don't necessarily you know know if blake's knowledge is always he always has that platform to be able to Mm -hmm. put it out there for people so that's why i decided to make him part of an episode i love it and i also think the name is super clever eyes on the prize yes how long have you had that in your back pocket for out of curiosity (sighs) a few months so that's the first episode by the way one of the first guests was kofi yaboa from sb nation people are like oh my god you guys are like you got a social distance. You're so close to each other. I had that in the bank for six weeks. Like that was my pilot that I was waiting to use. So uh, I had this thought of this for, for a bit. I wanted something. I, someone told me, you know, don't do the Jeff Eisenband show because if you ever want to bring it somewhere else, like you just have to have something, something about it. But um, so I wanted some sort of play on my name and that's mm-hmm. what I landed on. I love it. Eyes on the prize. Spelled not like E-Y-E-S. Um, and then the last question is, any chance you're going to get Derek Jeter on the podcast? <laughs> um, I got to, uh, that's one of those things that I was, so I, it was a very corporate panel that I moderated with Derek mm-hmm. Jeter. And he was awesome, like could not have been more, more friendly off camera. That's the thing, like you never know if he's just going to flip the switch when he's on, but shaking hands with everyone in the room, asking me about, he, he asked me about, we were talking about esports a lot. Um, he was, you know, interested in knowing. He was, gave me some very candid answers about the Miami Marlins, by the way. Um, but that's one of those things that I need to meet him a second time. I need mm-hmm. to, the second time we meet is the, oh, right, we did, you know, let's exchange contact information. Not, uh, you got to play the long game with all these mm-hmm. guys. And that was my cute and clever way of trying to ask about your Derek Jeter interview. Uh, as again, big Mets fan, but got to love Derek. Like, who doesn't love Derek Jeter? He was, um, I like, that's the other thing. Like I, I can't, if I, trust me, if I had the video, I'd share some of the interviews because he was as, you know, this was a closed private sort of thing that uh, he was, we, I could share the pictures, but he was as uh, candid as you can 
you would you wouldn't believe how candid he is. Uh, he also so I started I think I sorry I was like how many Yankee fans are in the room Mets fans Red Sox fans and you know, we, there were a lot of cheers and I was like Marlins fans kind of quiet he was like all right we'll change that by the end of this that's so, awesome you know he's Mar- he's a Marlins guy now hey man teach his own I guess teach his own if you love baseball you love baseball you gotta he, do what you gotta do he would not like me calling him a Marlins man though. Oh, for obvious nice. reasons. Yes, very nice. Okay. And if anyone doesn't understand that reference, go look it up. It's an interesting <laughs> one. Um, but Jeff, this was absolutely fantastic. Jeff Eisenband, esports and sports journalist, NBA 2K League on air, reporter, host, analyst, all around great dude. Thank you so much. The, the Eyes on the Prize podcast, everything will be in the show notes. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Jeff Eisenband. As I said, super smart dude's been doing so much stuff, so much more than everybody else, and I respect the hell out of that. And maybe one day I can be a little bit like him. Please make sure to follow Jeff on all of his socials. Everything is in the show notes. Please also make sure to give us a five-star review wherever the heck you're listening to us, preferably on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. That is super, super helpful. So thank you all so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, so I appreciate you giving me some of yours, and I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes! Yeah.